just a couple of moments, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. If you'd like to turn there, we'll be there in just a few moments. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one uh, beneath one of the seats in front of you by your feet there, and we'll be on page 1,625, 1625 um, in those Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 15. But We've been in this series called The Great Reorientation, and it is the series that we are in now as we prepare for Easter. We're in this season called Lent. Uh, You might be familiar with Advent, how Advent are the days leading up to Christmas. Lent is the days leading up to Easter. And so as a church, we are preparing for Easter. We are preparing for, uh, once again, the opportunity to not only celebrate, but be reminded of the good news and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us here on this earth, what it means for us today. And so we have been looking at different scenes, different passages, uh, most specifically in the Gospel of Luke, and we were in the Gospel of John as well, where we look at Jesus and we observe what he says, what he does, how he gives counsel, how he reacts or responds to different things. And our goal in this series is to see the different ways in which Jesus navigates life and then trying to emulate. Because what we do believe is that there is an invitation that is extended to people who choose to follow Jesus. And that invitation goes beyond follow me But that invitation is Jesus saying to us, become like me. Where Jesus says, yes, follow me and and learn from me and, and hear from me, but also become like me as well. And so we are kind of stepping into that invitation. We're We're embracing what that invitation looks like. And so while we do that, we're asking a set of questions and then wrapping that up with another statement. And it is, who is Jesus? Who am I? And confess the difference. And it's those three pieces, this whole series that we're kind of looking to as we step more into that invitation of not just following Jesus, but becoming like Jesus. So in week one, we looked at the scene where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He gets baptized and then goes into the desert for 40 days. And we look at different temptations that he faced. And what we learned there is that shortcuts were being offered to Jesus. And so during that week, a few weeks ago now, we considered, yeah, we kind of live in a world of shortcuts as well. How do we deal with that? How do we navigate those things faithfully? And one of those important things that we took away from that week was that what gets done is important, but how it gets done is even more important. And that was kind of the main thing we took away from that first week, is that there are good things that can be done, Um, things that result in positive things, and and we put work in here, and, and good outcomes take place, but But the work itself, how the end result gets accomplished, is very important and very meaningful. In the second week, we looked at this idea of how we're supposed to respond to disruptions. 
when something happens at the workplace or in the household or in the family unit or, or friend unit, things that you weren't expecting, how do we respond to that? And what we settled on in week number two was that we are supposed to allow Jesus to help us journey through the disruptions. And the reason that we said that is because a lot of times our immediate instinct or reaction is when a disruption comes, we avoid or recoil or hide or retreat. But what we saw in that second week was that we're actually supposed to journey through it and that Jesus can help us through seasons and through situations, even the ones that we don't want to face, even the ones that we don't want to walk through. Last week, we talked about this idea of viewing life through a new set of lenses. And we looked at a couple different passages of Scripture, but what we ended up settling on, if you were here, was is that, that there is a set of lenses, almost, in which we view all areas of life differently. That, that there's not a way of looking at life or observing life, depending on where you are, if I'm at work or home or church or, or Walmart or whatever else. There, there are not different ways in which we approach different scenes, but that all of life, how I see the world, how I view the world, how I view those around me, Jesus can impact it all. And in fact, he's in, in, inviting us and and asking all of that to be impacted. Uh, so today, in week four, um, we look at the side dialogue that sparked Jesus telling probably one of the more well-known parables, um, and much more largely known, a, a well-known concept, and, and we'll get that as we read along here. So, so let's dive right in into Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to start at verse 1. And uh, these words will also be on on the screen behind me as well. Let's go ahead and read this parable. Uh, It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was the side dialogue. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And if you're looking at a Bible right now, that goes into the parable of the lost coin, and that goes into the parable of the lost son as well. So this little side comment of Pharisees and teachers of the law kind of scoffing and saying, this guy eats with sinners and tax collectors and and the people that are on the outcasts. Jesus unleashes these three parables that have to do with things that are lost. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But I want to provide a few pieces of context in case uh, there might be some confusion of, you know, why is it important that we name tax collectors, or why is it important that we, or that the author highlights certain things. And so I'd like to speak to those things. Um, the reason that tax collectors were seen in that kind of negative light is they were outcasts because of their behaviors, but it's really because of their occupation. Uh, they were tasked with collecting taxes from people. Uh, we are very much in tax season, and hopefully that's not a reminder to, <laughs> to you or your family. Um, got a couple weeks left here. But uh, on that, you know, we, we kind of go to a person, or maybe we just do them online even, and we type in our information, and maybe we get money back or we owe someone money, and, and that's kind of how it goes. Or even when you go to the store and then you look at your receipt, you bought something for a dollar, but you paid like a dollar and ten cents, right? Or, or whatever those taxes are. We pay taxes all the time, but they're generally collected by computers, right? Or it's just kind of built into the system. Or you get paid this amount, but what you really deposit in your bank is this amount. Taxes were collected, yes, but by people. So imagine getting paid, let's say, $100. And instead of your employer taking out 25 of that, I don't know, someone showed up to your house later that week <laughs> and said, give me that $25. Whether you really had it or not, right? I mean, pay the taxes. Um, that's how that worked. And I don't know if any tax collectors would really be well-liked, would they, right? And it was the same with this, is that if you were a tax collector, you had the job that, that no one else wanted, but what made it worse is that no one else wanted you to exist <laughs> because who wants to pay taxes? So it was seen as kind of a social miscue to even be associated with them, which makes this scene really interesting. And then we also see that Jesus welcomes uh, sinners as well. And that's an interesting thing. Um, that's a loaded word, sin, and, and a sinner, and, and that, that's loaded stuff. But I, I want to I communicate who would have been called sinners in this day and age. Uh, in this time period, it would be people who could not maintain the temple lifestyle. Um, there was an actual cost, not up front. There wasn't a charge at the door when you walked into the church or to the temple or to the synagogue, but there were things that you and your household needed to be able to maintain in order to be seen as holy. One of the primary ones is this idea of sacrifices, temple sacrifices. If you were a farmer, it was grain or whatever crop that you were growing. Um, it could have been an animal or, or something like that, or monetary as well. And, and you had to maintain this temple system in order to be seen as not a sinner in this day and age. And so people who were labeled as sinners could have very well just been people who couldn't keep up with the rat race, right? And it kind of changes the playing field a little bit. It, it kind of recalibrates this whole idea of who a sinner is. But nonetheless, 
it would have also been, like it would have been with tax collectors, it would have been kind of a social miscue to be associated with sinners. It was just this group of people that you didn't want to be associated with. Now, when it comes to the three parables, back to back to back, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, um, Luke puts these together. The author of the Gospel of Luke is a guy named Luke, and, and Jesus either said all of these three things in succession, or at one point in Jesus's ministry, Jesus said them, and Luke just decided to put them together because it would all make sense for them to be together regardless of how that actually happened. What we see communicated to us in Luke chapter 15 is that Jesus has a deep desire to pursue that which has been lost. Whether it is a coin in the parable of the lost coin, but that's communicating something a bit deeper there. Whether it's a sheep, with, which we just read about, but of course that's communicating something deeper. Or whether it is a son, whether it is a human, and, and that kind of really hits home what Jesus is saying here, that Jesus has a deep desire to pursue that which has been lost. And when we say lost, we want to hold two things in balance, is that people can lose themselves. There are decisions that we can make as people that have free will in human agency to choose to do that or this, right? A or B or go here or do this or something like that. We have the ability to lose ourselves. There is another side of that coin, though, and we saw this a lot in the time of Christ, is that larger bodies, the righteous, lost people as well. Because here's the deal, is that at the very end of the day, the, 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 the righteous who gather together, we are responsible for folk. And what we've talked about here at Reachway before is that we're responsible for this neighborhood, right? And we don't, we don't know everyone who lives here, and we don't know all the situations, but, but man, it, this neighborhood should be better because we're here. And because we're organizing efforts and we're getting involved in certain initiatives. And there's a responsibility that we have, even to neighbors and strangers. That's one of the distinct elements of following Christ and being what we call a Christian, is that when it comes to enemies, we actually love them and pray for them. And, and when it comes to neighbors, we love them just like we love ourselves. And, and we serve people maybe even people that we don't know, just because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. So today, I want to consider this little story here and this parable, and I want to focus our attention on that side dialogue, that quick little comment that is said by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and as, we, as we kind of enter into that discussion, I want to consider... A hypothetical question that is important for us to ask here, but I think it's going to help us kind of work through this particular passage. And, and this is kind of the statement, and then the question is, I believe I have been found by Jesus. Now what? I think that's the rub here with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I think that's the tension here. 
I believe I've been found. Like the lost sheep that we just read about, I believe I've been found. Now what? In the time of Jesus, there were groups of people, catch this, that self-defined themselves as knowing what there is to know and being right. These were labels that they put on themselves, and they got enough people together in the same room to agree with them, and if we can all agree that we're the right ones, then hey, we're the right ones. We know everything that there is to know. It was a self-defining moment for people like the Pharisees and for people like who we call the teachers of the law. And yeah, if you get enough people in a room and over a long enough period of time, they say the things that they think to be true, then that starts to be the narrative around them. Well, yeah, if they're the right ones, then they've been the right ones for a while, so they must be the right ones. And all of a sudden, this culture has formed where these certain groups are the righteous. In their minds, in their heads, they were right. And by the book, which they wrote, are you with me this morning? They wrote the book in their minds and by the book, they were the found ones. They were not lost. They have been saved. And the tension that this group has with Jesus, and we see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, time and time again, this group called the Pharisees and this group called the teachers of the law pop up all the time. And what they have attention with is what the life of a righteous person should look like. The reason that the side dialogue took place is because what they thought as people who were convinced that they were right is that the life of a righteous person person should be disassociating themselves with people like the sinners, with people like the tax collectors. And so if Jesus would do that, then how is that a righteous man? Now, this series, the one that we're in, The Great Reorientation, it is founded on the idea of what we are to do when we choose to follow Jesus. And what we are supposed to do, we talked about it just a few minutes ago, is to become like him. So something that I hope that maybe you've already seen in this series, and I hope once again that we see today, is this. Is that our point of view means everything. That's the main theme today, is this idea of our point of view. And it kind of follows along with last week where we talked about viewing life through new sets of lenses. I want to follow along with the analogy here, this idea of lost sheep. And if you're a Facebook friend of mine, you would have seen me flesh this out a little bit more uh, early this last week. But to follow along with the analogy of the lost sheep, it was the point of view of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that their faith system was designed to keep them part of the group of 99 If we're following along with this analogy, their whole lives were structured around the idea of never having to be the one that needed to be saved from anything. 
and that it was their goal to maintain this level of righteousness so that they could really just stay in the majority, to stay in the group of 99 because I would not want to be caught dead being the one lost one. That's what it looked like to be righteous, and that was their point of view. And so in order to maintain their righteousness, they developed a faith that was really reduced down to moralism. I will do this or I won't do this. And I will be with this group of people or I will not be with this group of people. Because they needed to do everything they possibly could on the outside to make it seem like they were a part of the 99. So, they avoided. They disassociated. Um, they didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with those who do. And they not only did those things, but they looked down on people who did those things. Like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus becomes the bad guy in this story. I hope you're seeing that. I, I hope you're seeing that it was Jesus who was the one who, according to certain groups of people, was on the wrong side of the tracks and was behaving outside of righteousness. So our theme this morning is point of view. And I want to read out of one of the Apostle Paul's letters. If you're familiar with the, the makeup of the New Testament at all, New Testament being kind of the, the last third of our Bibles, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are our gospel accounts that account for the life of Christ. And a majority of the other writings of the New Testament come at to us from this guy named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, Paul the Apostle. And a lot of these writings in the New Testament are letters that he wrote to actual churches in actual cities during an actual period of time. And these letters got handed down, and we still read them today. There's two of them that go back to back. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. First meaning just this was the first letter he wrote. Second meaning this was the second. And we say Corinthians because this church that he's writing to um, is a church in the, the city of Corinth. So it could very well be easily uh, Paul's letters to the Peorians, right? Kind of similar thinking. This is what Paul has to say in his second letter to a church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, and these will be on the screen as well. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's our theme today. We don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the same message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to highlight a few things that we just read. And the first one is this. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What Paul is almost bringing back to memory for some could have been this scene, that one time that Jesus was was known for welcoming sinners and tax collectors. And that second piece there where Paul says, we used to do that to Jesus. We used to regard Jesus in this way. We used to view Jesus through a worldly point of view and say he's with tax collectors and sinners. He's not righteous, shame on him. Paul is, he's, he's redoing this entire scene. He's redoing this entire this entire exchange of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees looking at Jesus. Another thing worth highlighting, which, yeah, is important, <laughs> is that this whole, this whole reconciliation thing is God not counting people's sins against them. He is so far and beyond more considered, uh, concerned about, excuse me, bringing this relationship between God and man more, more close and more healthy. He's so much more concerned about that. And so in order to be more concerned about that, you have to be less concerned about something else. And that something else was just not counting the sins against them. Just so radically focused on, on maintaining these, these relationships and reconciling. And so we learn something here in 2 Corinthians from these few verses we learn that those in Christ have been made new. That's good. Also, they have been commissioned with a new message, and that is reconciliation. And this is the viewpoint that we need to catch this morning. This is the new viewpoint that we put up against the viewpoint of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. It was their point of view to avoid and disassociate. And they felt that they were righteous. They felt that they were found. They felt that they were saved. And so their point of view developed into avoiding, disassociating, and not only that, but looking down on those who did associate and who didn't avoid. But we have learned new truths in light of the life of Christ. And Paul fleshes these out for us. And he says, there's a new point of view for the righteous. There's a new point of view for the one who is convinced that they are found and saved. And that there's a new mission. And that there's a new message. And it is not avoid. And it is not disassociate. And it is not look down. And it is not counting sins against people. But it is reconciliation. It is a way of life that approaches the world and asks the question, where is God missing 
situations. Is there a place in life, is there a place in my life, is there a narrative in this neighborhood, in the city, in my family, in my workplace, where God doesn't have influence? And you could easily say, well, well, Jesus isn't here on this earth anymore. There's not an actual person that we can look to. God doesn't inhabit physical spaces, Pastor Seth, so we can't just, we can't just hire a better HR rep who happens to be God <laughs> to reconcile these things. But did you catch those words that Paul gives us? Is that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation. And that God is making his appeal. He's making his invitation to reconciliation. He's making these things possible. It is right here through us. So the point of view now is totally different. Don't avoid don't disassociate. Don't do everything you can to not have to be involved in that situation you don't really want to be involved in. That once was the point of view. That was the worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ in this way. But those who are in Christ, we've learned new truths. And we've seen new things that we are to become the righteousness of God, not remain just the righteous people. The goal of being found is not to just stay found, but it is to spend some effort and time going out and looking for the not yet found ones as well and being and becoming reconciliation. Because this is what happens, is that at the moment we become reconciled to God, we are commissioned into the same mission of reconciliation that came and met and rescued us. Are you seeing how this is a cycle and that there's not this linear that I'm, I'm born of my mother and at some point I get lost and then someone comes and finds me and now I'm found again and that's where it ends. No. That's a very linear movement where there is a start and there is an end. What we are commissioned to is to be a part of the same exact mission that found us. It was a person and it was a group of people that found you. And yeah, your parents might have dragged you to it when you were younger, but they still cared about you. And they still loved you. And hey, here you are. Here we are. So it's us that are to jump into that same mission that got us. So today, our invitation to reorientation. Today as we consider, who is Jesus? Who am I? Confess the difference. I want us to be mindful of our current points of view. And this is where these moments of response that we have at the end of our gatherings are very meaningful. So this is actually something that I think would be beneficial for all of us to do, not only this morning, but as the rest of this week begins and rolls along. 
is that regardless of the area of life, does your point of view seem to align with Christ's point of view? Last week, we talked about, you know, these little, little, little phrases, what would Jesus do, or how would Jesus do this, or what would Jesus think? And that's why we pray at the end of our gatherings that we would have the mind and the eyes and the ears and the mouth and the hands and the feet and the heart of Christ so that we could become like him and do these things like him. So our moment of consideration this week, when it comes to others, when it comes to that situation at work or in your family or in your friend circle or whatever it is, is your viewpoint on the situation or on the person, do you seem, based on what you see in the scriptures and what you believe to be true about God, and what you believe to be true about love, does it seem to align with the viewpoint that Christ would hold to that same exact situation? To piece things together, I want to leave us with one final thought. A thought that hopefully we can all resonate with this morning, or maybe we can at least think back on a time when it felt maybe for a variety of reasons a little bit more real then than it does now. But this idea of aligning our point of view with God's point of view towards us. I really do hope that we feel loved by God. I really do. I, I really do hope that Maybe even in this moment, you can be sitting there and you can take a deep breath and say, yes, yes, God loves me. I am loved by my creator. I am loved by the Father in heaven. I, I hope that that can be said and believed. It doesn't need to be shouted or, you know, just yelled. Is, is it something that you can believe in and feel? Maybe not so much this morning, but maybe before. I say that to say, I hope that we have felt unconditional love from God. I hope that we have gotten to a place where we were worthy of God's patience towards us and forgiveness towards us and, and grace and mercy towards us. And if we have felt those things before, and if we would be able to, today, say that, yes, this is also my point of view, when I consider God's point of view towards me, if we can get there, then what I'm hoping we can do is that we can keep that cycle going. Where we can clearly identify, yes, I believe that, that God loves me unconditionally, so what I'm going to do is love others unconditionally. And we know what it looks like because we've been recipients of it before. And if we were really honest with ourselves, we know what unconditional forgiveness and love and grace and mercy looks like because we've received it. We know what it feels like to be justified. We know what it feels like to be loved. So what I hope we can do in this moment of response that we're about to have and, and this week is, am I dishing 
what I have taken for so long. And that's the question. And taken seriously, it just might shake up some things. But that's why we're talking about these things in this series, is because this all ends with Easter Sunday. It does. And, and the, the difference that we would confess between Jesus' point of view and my point of view, that confessed difference is made up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the, the confessed difference and the identified gap is filled in. And that there's no longer this void, but that there is a God that opens himself up for us to live in community with him where we become like him. And where the guilt melts off and where the shame disappears and it begins when we freely receive and at the same exact moment in time, we freely give as well. That's freedom. Not just freedom to receive, but freedom to give. That is freedom. And that's what we're being invited into. So I'd like to invite our, our team back up. They're going to lead us in a final song. And we're going to enter into this moment of response. I would challenge us all this morning, in these moments, and then as the week unfolds. How does that point of view align? Maybe it's, maybe it's an overall point of view that, that God is kind of nudging you right now to consider. Just, hey, my whole, my, my whole take on life maybe could be just realigned. And if, if that maybe isn't the, isn't the nudge, then maybe it's that just one specific situation. That one person, that, you know, whatever it is. Maybe it's taking it place by place when I'm here. What's my viewpoint when I'm here? What about when I'm here? I, I don't know where this lands for you. I don't know where this applies, but I think that's the question. Is, is my viewpoint aligning with Christ?